In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Some would say that one of the most distinguishing characteristics of the millennial generation, that's the, those who are born like after 1980-ish through 2000. So one of the most distinguishing characteristics of them is that they crave feedback. Is they want to know how they're doing, what, what you think about them. Uh, what do you think about me? And we could push it a little further and say it's not just them, but especially in our, in our age where social media is so prevalent, we are highly dependent on this instant gratification, instant feedback that we can receive from others. All of us crave feedback. And we push it too far, though, when we start to actually get our, our self-worth and our confidence and our value from what other people think about us. When we put too much stock in the opinion of others. As Christians, we're not to look to ourselves or others for our confidence. In fact, we come here and we confess ourselves right off the bat. We confess ourselves to be sinful and unclean. So we're putting no stock or worth or confidence in ourselves, but it's all coming from our Lord Jesus. He is our value and our worth, and he gives us our, our confidence in who we are. So we look to him. So it seems odd then that Jesus would start off today's gospel reading sounding like a feedback craving millennial when he asks, what do people think about me? Who do people say that I am? What, what do you think? How am I doing? Right? Does Jesus care what other people think about him? Yes, certainly does. But it's different than the way you and I do. So for us, we're, we're drawn to think about what, what, care about what other people think about us because our value and our self-worth is often tied up into what others think about us. That's why social media is so popular for everyone, so addictive. We're so tied up in uh, placing our worth in what other people think. For Jesus, though, he's very interested in what others think about him, not because his worth has anything to do with it, but because our worth does. That is, what matters, it matters what we think about Jesus. Because if we're thinking the wrong stuff, if we don't think rightly, then we lose everything. Salvation is at stake. Peace, hope, life, everything matters about when we consider what we think about Jesus. So Jesus is very interested what people think about him. And so in our text, he asks his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that, that I am? And they give a lot of, a lot of good answers. Every, people are saying good stuff. They say, well, you're one of the prophets. People are saying you're like Jeremiah, John the Baptist. These are all good answers. These are honorable titles. They're just wrong, right? They're not saying bad stuff about Jesus. They're just giving an incomplete, non-saving picture, right? And that's really what we often see today it's clear in, in the major world religions, the non-Christian world religions would all give some kind of lip service to Jesus, that he is a great teacher, 
a great prophet. He is a God. He's certainly more than just a regular guy. These are all honorable titles, but he's not what we would say that he is God in the flesh who died on the cross and rose from the dead. They won't give him that. And if, as we consider our increasingly secular and non-religious world, we can think of many of our neighbors. If you were to just ask them, first of all, if you ask anybody what they think about Jesus, they don't want to answer because it's worried they're going to, they're going to offend you or they're going to offend somebody. I, so rather than saying what they think about Jesus, they'll say, well, my Jesus, what I, I think that Jesus would be this way or my Jesus wouldn't say this or that. So they take the biblical historical Jesus and they trim off everything they don't like and just whatever they, it's like scooping up at the buffet. Whatever I want from Jesus, I'll take it, but only that. But you can't, you can't do that to Jesus. He wants to be known in full. And if you take just a little bit of Jesus, you miss the whole thing. C.S. Lewis makes this point. He talks about uh, considering Jesus as either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. And, and the reason why that's the case is if, remember, Jesus says that he is God. Even in today's text, he agrees that he is the son of the living God. That is, he is God. So if he's not God, and he said he was God, then he was crazy. And everything that he said would have made no sense. Why are you taking advice from a lunatic? Or if he's not God, he's a liar. So why are you just scooping up little individual fortune cookie sayings from a Jesus who is a liar? He wants to be known fully. A little bit of Jesus does you no good. It's like getting like half of a triple bypass. They cut you open and they don't finish the tubes or whatever they do in there. You gotta have the whole thing or it does you no good. Life eternal is at stake. So Jesus cares what people think about him. And so he turns then to his disciples and says, what do you say? that I am. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answers on behalf of the disciples and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he is commended for this. He's, it's, it's a right answer, but it's actually, as we find out later about Peter, is he doesn't quite get it. He confesses him to be the son of the living God, but he doesn't know in what way Jesus is to be the savior, how he is to be the Messiah. And that's why, in case you're wondering, at the very end of today's gospel lesson, where Jesus then tells his disciples, don't tell anybody this news. And you're thinking, well, I thought we we're supposed to tell the world the news of Jesus. Why would Jesus say, don't tell, don't tell anyone? It's because they, haven't, they don't get it yet. They think Jesus is a God of power and strength, not a God who comes in mercy to save. And so he's like, not yet. And we find this to be true because the very next verse, which is actually next week's, next week's gospel reading and next week's sermon, is Peter, Peter's saying, no, Jesus, don't go to the cross. And Jesus famously says, get behind me, Satan, because he doesn't get it yet, right? But yet, at least he's commended initially for saying you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So we can consider that as this great confession that you and I are given to confess as well, that he is the Christ that is translated from the, the Messiah, the Savior, the anointed, the, the appointed promised Savior from prophesied from of old throughout the Old Testament the anticipated one who will, who will save us. That, that is Jesus. And he's not a dead God. That is like the idols would be, these lifeless forms. But he, is, he continues to be the living God. He died, yes, but he rose and continues to live and abide with us. That is our God, and that's the wonderful confession that we are to make as Christians. But we do see our sin where we, we fail to hold that confession 
faithfully. And, and we live inconsistently with that confession. Where, where, where we see our fear, the things that cause you fear. Just think about it. What kinds of things are you afraid of? What's causing you anxiety? Ultimately, it boils down to you don't actually believe that Jesus is God. And if you did, you wouldn't have these fears. And so we see our unbelief. We see our, our sin. We certainly know our sin. We, we fail to forgive others in the way that Jesus has forgiven us. And these days, we see it very clearly in our divided loyalties. So we're, we're here on Sunday morning, and yet there's, other, there's all these other hours and days of the week. <laughs> it's so easy to walk away from this confession of Jesus as the, the, the living God who is with us and has given us, who's created us and abides with us, and we know where we're going, we know right and wrong, good and evil, and yet we can easily depart from that. And our divided loyalties, you could say, are between the eternal things, what God thinks about us, but also what this world thinks about us. We don't want to be judged by this world because we care what other people think about us, right? That's kind of our problem. We have a lot hinging. Our identity, our worth is tied up in what other people think about us. So we want to please them and we want to please Jesus. And it's, it's impossible to do both in an increasingly crumbling world, right? And so in our divided loyalties, we see our sin and all of this. We see our desperate need for a savior. And that's our Lord Jesus who gives us, as he tells of Peter this day, he, he, gives, he gives the church. He says to Peter, yes, Peter, uh, flesh and blood has not revealed this confession to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And on this great confession, as Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, on that confession, I will build my church. That is the church not of brick and mortar or sheetrock, paint or whatever we got here, but it is the body of believers throughout the world, those who are given to confess Jesus as the Christ and receive from him the cross, life and salvation, forgiveness of sins through word and, and his sacraments. That's where we're given to find the, the church. Jesus has tremendous comfort for us in his pronouns as he says, I will build my church. It's his church. He does the building. Very often we, we start to look at the church and maybe we get worried about, about numbers and our congregation and our church body or Christianity throughout the world. We, we worry as though, as though God himself isn't in charge of it. You like to take care of your stuff. In fact, you take, care of, you take better care of your stuff than anybody else's stuff because it's yours, right? That's why there's commandments that tell us to love, to love other people's stuff as much as you love your own, right? Well, Jesus, of all people, certainly takes care of his stuff. So when he calls us his church, it's gonna be fine. There's no emergencies. There's nothing to worry about. He will take care of his church. And he builds his church in his way. And this is kind of, it's really counter to, to every business model that we maybe think of and the way we think about growing businesses and running successful businesses. Jesus, like the picture that Jesus uses to promote the church is not one of strength and power, but it's, it's a corpse on a cross. It's Christ crucified for sinners. And we invite here, not people who are super duper successful and perfect in life, but only one kind of person. Sinners. And when you get sinners together, often they sin. 
And so we have weaknesses in this church on earth. And yet Jesus said, it's okay. I know what I'm doing. I build my church. I work faith when and where I please. I'm going to work faith through, through simple things like the preached word and pouring water on the head of a baby. And we're thinking, that doesn't make, that doesn't make any sense. That's, how you, that's not how you grow a business. And Jesus said, it's not up to you. I get to build my church. And then last he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's interesting he has to say that because don't we know that hell is not going to prevail against Jesus's church? It's God's church. But he has to say it because as we look at the world, doesn't it seem that the gates of hell are prevailing? As we look at persecuted Christians and suffering closing churches, right? We see churches being unfaithful, like the nonsense creed we talked about a few weeks ago, to people departing ancient Christianity, biblical Christianity, things being added to Jesus that take everything away from Jesus. And then we look at societies crumbling all around us, and then that same crumbling creeping into our families and our communities. And it seems, oh yeah, like hell is prevailing. The gates of hell are all around us and they seem to be winning. And Jesus says, no, the gates of hell will not prevail. Because when you think about the power of hell, it is not some kind of power to bring about death. Because as we know, all death is, for those with faith in Christ, is simply this gateway into eternal life. All the martyrs, all the, all the Christians who have died in the faith, they have not, they have not disappeared. They've just moved from here to the eternal church. The church never shrinks. It only increases in number eternally. So we need not fear those things. And all, this, all the sin that we see in the world and in our families and sin in the church, all the brokenness, that's not evidence that hell is prevailing. It's evidence that we, we need Jesus, right? The, more, the, more, the worse the world gets, the more job security is for the church to forgive sins, right? So as you consider the power of hell, it's simply this. It's sin not being forgiven. Isn't that the, that's what the devil brought into this world? Sin? So that's, it's, it's sin is where we see the power of hell. And so hell is nothing other than you insisting on your own way for all eternity. It's us clinging to our sin and not giving it to Jesus. That's hell. When sin goes unforgiven, we have hell. But whenever sin is forgiven, hell cannot prevail. And that's why in today's text, Jesus then turns to Peter and says, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Where sins are forgiven here, through the spoken word of, of sinful men, we know sins are forgiven in heaven with certainty. We have this confidence and this wonderful gift of forgiveness of sins that's delivered to us. That we know that though our sin is great, though our confession of Jesus as the son of the living God often falters, we cling to this promise of our Lord Jesus that our sins are forgiven. And where sins are forgiven, hell has no power. And so we, we continue to pray that our Lord would keep us faithful in this confession unto death that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, 
the Son of the living God, that he would place that confession on our lips and sustain us in that confession unto death and always give us the peace and the eternal joy of knowing that where the forgiveness of sins is preached, hell cannot prevail. In the name of Jesus, amen. We stand for prayer.